Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, the place for all things nutrition and mindfulness. We are passionate about guiding you to make peace with food and empower your body and brain. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Hobson. I'm an NTP, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner in San Diego. I work with individuals to assess personal nutritional deficiencies and imbalances by addressing the root cause of any health issue. In my private practice, I focus on women's hormones, gut health, and thyroid dysfunction. Let's meet my co-host. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified transformational nutrition coach based in Los Angeles. I work one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, make peace with food, and create a life they love filled with energy, self-love, and freedom from rules and obsession. I'm also the creator of the ebook, Break Free from Disordered Eating. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We are so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 63 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We have another awesome interview today. Today I have one of my really good friends, Natasha De Silva. Her and I actually met because we both deal with Lyme disease, co-infections of Lyme, and we both have really similar symptoms. That's actually how we met, and it's been kind of the silver lining to our struggles and our challenges with this illness is that we've met each other, and we, we've never met in person, but we've met on FaceTime. We're talking a video right now, and we've talked on the phone and texted a lot, and I'm just so grateful for her. So... Before I introduce her, I just wanted to give you guys a quick overview of my, my story with Lyme and kind of how I got diagnosed and, and why and walk you through it just a little bit. I know I've touched on it here and there throughout the show over the last year, but basically I was diagnosed back in 2017. I had been dealing with almost three years of symptoms. I didn't know at the time. I actually never even considered that they could be Lyme because I don't have a lot of the classic symptoms, like a lot of the neurological issues and things like that associated with Lyme or what I thought were associated with Lyme. So I just never really even went down that path of exploring the possibility of having Lyme. I didn't have any knowledge of co-infections or anything like that at the time. So basically, as you guys have heard me talk about, I saw like a bunch of different naturopaths and functional medicine doctors, and I've talked about all the different healing diets that I've done for having, they diagnosed me with candida, with SIBO, I had adrenal dysfunction, hormone imbalance. Basically, I was eating vegan, paleo, high fat, low FODMAP, like all these different things over the years and just never getting better. My main issue is this chronic gut dissension, which Natasha shares as well. and. Basically, I just woke up one day with this late 2014. It was pretty soon after I went back to school for nutrition. And it's interesting because I started actually eating so much more real food and taking so much better care of myself and kind of doing all the right things. Yet this super strange, just really unique symptom popped up. And that's when then I went down the path of seeing all these practitioners and doing all the diets and taking all the supplements and doing all the treatments and all the things. So I kind of hit a dead end. I was working with a functional diagnostic nutritionist actually based out of Canada, which is where Natasha's from, in early 2017. And, you know, I just, I was treating, I did, you know, a bunch of stool tests and things like that. And I had healed parasites and infections and bacteria overgrowth and all these things. But I just, again, still was struggling with this gut dissension, this chronic bloating, no matter what I did. 
So my mom actually had a friend who saw a doctor down in San Diego. You guys have heard that's actually how Allie and I have met up a few times because I see a doctor down in San Diego. And he basically suspected that I had something called Bartonella, which is a co-infection of Lyme disease. He did a thermography scan, which is basically um, where you like have a scan of your naked body and it's able to sort of see what's going on beneath the skin. He saw a bunch of hot spots and he saw this big burst blood vessel on my breast. And basically, again, he sort of just intuitively suspected Bartonella. He explained to me it's coined as cat scratch disease. And basically I put the pieces together, which I never had before, which is so crazy. And he said that it can be transmitted by fleas. So this is such a long story and I won't go totally into it today, but Basically, um, in 2012, so a long time ago at this point, I bought a small potted Christmas tree from Whole Foods because I was staying here over the holidays. I was actually working. I had just gotten hired at Lululemon. This was back in the day, my other life. And this little potted Christmas tree actually infected my apartment with fleas. I got bit all over my body. It was horrible. It was totally traumatic. It was really bad, but I never even considered to go to the doctor and get checked out. I never considered I could get something from, from that. I just kind of thought it was this just crappy thing that happened to me. And basically I tried to move on from that and didn't really think about it correlating with all these symptoms that I was having, you know, five plus years later at this point. So basically he thought, you know, you probably have Lyme, you probably have Bartonella disease. I guess he had seen in his clinic a lot of people who have this specific type of gut distension. And so again, it just sort of reminded him that that could be what's going on. So I did a blood test. It came back positive for Lyme and Bartonella. A year later, I began treating it just with supplements and things like that. A year later, um, there's a new test that came out called the DNA Connections Test with an X, which you guys may have heard me recommend before on the show. I really like it. It's a urine test. And I came back for Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia, started treating those. And then I came back earlier this year with another co-infection called Ericlea. And basically, I've just been on the journey ever since. I have major ups and downs still. Um, I'm, not, I'm not healed. I'm very much still on the journey. But like I said, um, Natasha and I met, I think at this point, maybe like a year or two ago. <laughs> yeah. She's staying mom over there, but you can, you can come <laughs> Well, yeah. So first, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, I think we actually started chatting in 2017, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. I think actually you had not been diagnosed quite yet. I think you were no. just going through the process. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a Instagram story that I had done where I started sharing about this new doctor I was seeing that I just got diagnosed. And I I think I said, you know, my main symptom is this gut distension. And I remember you messaged me and you were like, I want to send you a picture of what my stomach looks like. Mm -hmm. And you sent me a picture and I sent you a picture <laughs> and it <laughs> was almost, <laughs> yeah, it was almost identical. And anyway, I want to introduce you officially um, <laughs> and we'll get into all that. But, um, but yeah, basically um, that's how we met. She's, uh, she's become really an expert, I would say, in the whole Lyme co-infection world, just because of how much you've had to go through dealing with your own journey and how many symptoms you have. She has, unfortunately, way more symptoms and somewhat crazy symptoms and difficult to manage symptoms than I have to deal with. And I just, she's such like a 
rock star warrior, even though we don't like totally love that term. <laughs> um, and honestly, like she was the first person I met where I felt like I wasn't crazy because with having this type of gut issue, people would just say, oh, go drink, you know, ginger tea to reduce your bloating or, you know, cut out gluten or something like that. And it's like her and I have both kind of done everything right. We still struggle. So to be able to have that person to just like relate to in this very like specified way, I'm just so incredibly grateful. So yes, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here and thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, and I will say before we get into it, if it weren't for you, and like a handful of other people that I met through Instagram, I probably would have never even been diagnosed for Lyme disease. Like it never even crossed my mind. I didn't know anything about it. Like, you know, you hear about, oh, this celebrity has it or that celebrity has it, but you don't really understand what it is or how you get it or what the symptoms are. And so honestly, like you and like a few other people probably saved my life because I would never have even gone down this road had it not been for you guys, you know, encouraging me to get tested and being able to, you know, relate to your stories, which, you know, are not easy to share, especially with the public. Um, it can be very personal. So yeah, I just never said thank you for that, but thank you because I probably would have still been in the same boat as I was, uh, last year. So yeah, thank you. It's crazy. No, thank you. Honestly. <laughs> so <laughs> love fest. Love fest. So, Gonna cry. All good. Why don't you go ahead and just explain to our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of what you're all about and also get into your story as much as possible with, with Lyme and everything that you deal with. Yeah. Um, so I am living in Canada. I live in Toronto. Um, I've lived here my whole life. Um, and I ha actually don't work in anything to do like health related or nutrition. Um, I definitely have an interest in it just because of my own story and what I've gone through, but I actually work in the music industry. Um, I've been working in the music industry for five years. Um, I actually started having symptoms um, right when I, after I finished my internship um, at a record label, which is where I still work. Um, but other than that, um, I had been pretty much healthy my whole life. Uh, like you, Chelsea, I had an eating disorder when I was um, in my early youth, uh, when I was 17. Um, but other than that, I had been, you know, a regular healthy person. Um, and after, especially after I went through everything with my eating disorder, um, I went to college and I had like the best years of my life, feeling like a normal person, not feeling controlled by food or by um, you know, anorexia or any of that. Um, and so this is, that's why this has been so hard for me because I had like a taste of the good life, um, after being sick and, you know, and then this happened to me and I was like, I, but I already went through something like this. Like I already went through something traumatic in my early life. How come I'm, how come I'm going through something like this again? And, um, and with it being so closely related to physical health and my, um, you know, my, my stomach and, um, you know, my weight and all these things. And then, you know, having that background of having an eating disorder has made it a lot harder for, for those specific symptoms. But, um, yeah, basically about 
four or five years ago, um, whenever 20, 2014 was, um, I had just finished my internship and I had a little bit of, of a break before I actually got hired. And so I was just working, um, you know, on a completely unrelated job. Um, I had moved back home with my parents um, and I was just, you know, working and hanging out with my friends and hoping um, to get a job where I had interned. And I started having um, these like really weird symptoms and they almost, you know, came overnight. Um, I just remember being in the shower one day and looking down and seeing how bloated my stomach was, which was really out of the ordinary. I'd never dealt with that before. Um, and I was also having um, bowel issues. I couldn't go to the bathroom. Um, and I would probably say my the rest of my life, I had, it, it might've even swayed the opposite way. So it was very strange that I was dealing with constipation. And, you know, at the time I had been getting treated for acne. So I was taking antibiotics, um, birth control, um, and I had been on Accutane for about a month and a half. And it was about um, a month and a half into taking Accutane that I noticed those symptoms. So I immediately thought that it was because of the Accutane. So I went to see my dermatologist and I told him what was going on. And I was like, I, I, I want to stop taking this because I'm having severe stomach bloating and, and digestive issues. And he told me, you know, I, I don't think it's related, but if you are more comfortable with, you know, stopping treatment, then I support that. So I stopped it and I was, you know, okay, I stopped the medications. It's going to get better now. But unfortunately, it never did. And um, in fact, it just got worse. And I started collecting, I call it like collecting more symptoms. Um, every year I was tacking on more symptoms and it went from back pain, headaches, um, severe food allergies. I couldn't eat half the foods. <laughs> um, I had done a lot of food sensitivity and food allergy tests and I had over like 60 food sensitivities and allergies and I had to change my diet several times. Um, I would deal with night sweats, memory loss. Um, I was having a uh, I wouldn't call it liver disease, but um, every liver panel blood test that I did um, would come back with elevated liver enzymes, which could indicate liver disease. But um, I was, so I was dealing with that. Um, I was having severe tooth decay and having a lot of cavities, even though I was eating so healthy. I didn't drink alcohol, didn't smoke or anything. And I even was having like parts of my teeth break off when I was eating something. And I ended up getting dent, like uh, tooth infections and an infection in my jaw. And I ended up having to get a root canal and then my root canal got infected. And then I had to get my tooth pulled and um, TMJ, so grinding of um, your jaw. So I do that a lot in my sleep. Um, I had a lot of bone density tests done and I was um, losing bone density, um, heart palpitations, difficulty breathing, which I still, that one I struggle with. So if you ever hear me take a big breath during this, that's why. Um, dizziness and fainting, insomnia, like severe insomnia. I would stay awake till like three, four in the morning and then I would fall asleep and then I would have to get up for work and I would be just completely exhausted, falling asleep at the wheel, driving into work and driving home from work. Panic attacks, anxiety, um, hormonal imbalances. Um, I developed uterine fibroids, um, very, very severe uh, PMS symptoms where I had gone to the hospital to get morphine just because I was in so much pain. 
Um, I even collapsed at, um, in the parking lot at my work a few years ago because of the pain was so severe. And um, I was told that it was due to um, like cysts that were bursting. Um, so, cause I also then was diagnosed with uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is also known as PCOS. Um, and then memory loss, not being able to focus, which is really difficult when you're working um, and trying to, you know, do your job. Um, and then weight gain, which I kind of mentioned a little bit. Um, I gained about 30 pounds and it just seemingly came out of nowhere. Um, I probably gained um, the first 15 pounds just in the first few months that I had been symptomatic. And then slowly through the past five years, I just started, I kept gaining um, and then obviously the biggest symptoms would have to be the, the abdominal distension and the constipation and um, stomach pains, nausea, like terrible nausea where I can't eat anything and I have to, you know, eat a lot of liquid foods like soup and smoothies and things like that. So just, you know, stuff that makes it really hard to live your life, especially when you're, you know, in your mid twenties, um, I'm now 28 and I've been dealing with this since I was 24. Um, so definitely not what I thought my life would be like in my, uh, in my 20s, um, which I'm sure you can relate to. And along with that has come depression and panic attacks and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And, you know, not in the sense that I would necessarily act upon any of those thoughts, but just wanting it to be over, wanting it to just to not be in pain anymore. And, and that's been really, really hard hard for me because you're, you're battling with wanting to live and wanting to get your life back, but also fearing that you never will. And all you want is to be put out of your misery. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been a long road and I had been diagnosed with so many different things and, um, you know, and I had dealt with, you know, doctors laughing at me saying, oh, this is normal. I see this all the time. Just take a laxative and you'll be fine. Like eat more fiber, all the nonsense that they'll, they'll tell you, um, which obviously none of it helped me. And then um, I had seen naturopaths, functional medicine doctors. I paid for doctors, not even in Canada that I would have appointments with over Skype or over the phone, um, thousands and thousands of dollars that I've spent, um, which put me into debt. And then my parents have had to get involved to help me, which is putting them into debt. And, you know, it's, it's hard to not only for me to go through this, but to watch my family go through it as well. And they want the best for me and they want to help me, but it breaks my heart that, you know, it's having, I'm having to fall back on them. Um, and yeah, I'd seen so many different doctors and I, I would have been going through so many different treatments and it would maybe get in different treatments, it would get maybe like 10% better. And I would get this like little bit of hope that I'm on the right track, but then it just wouldn't go anywhere from there. And, I, and then as soon as I would stop, I would get worse again. Um, and so like I had mentioned when we first started chatting, um, it wasn't until um, a friend of mine said, you know, you should really start sharing this stuff. You have like this incredible story, um, obviously not in a great way, but you have this story to tell. You have, there's probably people you can connect with and people you can even learn from. So you should, you know, start a blog, start um, a YouTube channel, start an Instagram account, which ultimately I went for Instagram. And um, that's when I met you and I met some other people and I was finding so many, mostly women. And I, I have come across a few men, but mostly women that were dealing with the same symptoms as me. And they all had Lyme disease, which I just found completely odd. And also like, I'm like, that can't just be a coincidence. 
So um, in chatting with you guys um, over social media, I decided, you know what, like I, there's just too many similarities for me to ignore this. I need to go down this road and see where it takes me. And it was the hardest thing getting somebody to diagnose me. Like nobody wanted to test me. Um, and I eventually got my general, like my GP, my family practitioner to send me for Lyme testing, which um, I'm sure similar to the standard testing in the US, but it's very it's crap. <laughs> um, it's very, uh, it's not sensitive. It doesn't pick up on all of the different strains um, that uh, Lyme disease has. Um, so I tested negative for it. Um, and then I decided to go to my naturopath who has access to the tests in the US, such as um, IgenX. Um, and she said to me, you know, I don't think you have this, but if you really want me to, I'll send you for the testing since it's all out of pocket. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, like I want to be tested for this. And about probably a month and a half later, I get a call from her saying, I'm so sorry, I was completely wrong. You have Lyme disease. And it was actually on Valentine's Day <laughs> um, that I got that call. And I just remember being, I, like, I just started bawling on the phone with her. And it was such a weird feeling because I was more so relieved and happy for that diagnosis because it took the mystery out of it all. I had spent so much time trying to figure out what was wrong with me that I wasn't able to actually focus on treating what was wrong with me. So knowing what was wrong with me, I was able to start going down the right road, um, which then I didn't know it at the time, but opened up a can of worms because it's not just Lyme disease, which is also the, the exact um, strain is called Borrelia. Um, it's not just Lyme disease. It's co-infections like Bartonella and Babesia, Ehrlichia, Rickettsia, Mycoplasma, and then there's mold toxicity and uh, heavy metal toxicity and so many different things that I, didn't, I was not aware of. So um, yeah, I started going down that road and eventually I got diagnosed for Bartonella and Babesia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, also known as Rickettsia. Um, and then I got tested for mold toxicity. I had several different types of black mold, um, a little bit of heavy metals, um, and hormonal imbalances and just all sorts of things. Um, so, and I didn't get tested until last year. So I've only really been getting into this um, since last February. Um, yeah, so that's a long-winded story, but um, that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah, but it's a crazy story. Like, I know we've had so many different conversations about what you and I have both been through. But to hear you go through the last four years of everything that you've had to deal with, it's honestly, it's like incredible in a crazy way. Yeah. And I'm probably even forgetting some things. Um, it's hard to keep track of the past five years, but yeah, it's sometimes I can't even like, I can't even think about it because it's just it's so overwhelming and it's almost unbelievable. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And you're just like, how is this? And, but then when I do go over it, I'm like, wow, I'm a badass. <laughs> like the fact that I'm still here and I'm still kicking and I'm still fighting as hard as I can. I, I, and I have to give some credit to the people around me, my family and my friends and, um, people that I've met through Instagram. Um, like, I don't think I'd be able to get through it without, without those people, but not to take credit away from myself. I think it speaks to same with you. I think it speaks to our strength and um, our resilience and our persistence. Um, but also at the same time, we don't really have another choice. We have to fight. We have to keep going and we have to battle this um, because we don't have any other option. Exactly. And I think we have a 
different path with this, but I've felt a battle with how much I share and how much I don't share. Mm -hmm. You guys know that I'm such a vulnerable person. I'm really open with everything. So I've pretty much shared it all. But, you know, I am a nutrition practitioner and I do want to, I am that rock for my clients and I am that rock for people who I educate and who I share information with. And I want to be thought of as a, you know, healthy person. Mm -hmm. And I know that I am healthy, but when you have these symptoms or when you have this illness, you do sometimes start to come in and doubt yourself. And then you want to retreat and you want to pull back. And I think what you've kind of touched on a little bit is like some of the mental repercussions and how it affects your emotional stability and overall well-being. you know, the depression, the anxiety, like all that stuff. I've gone through that too. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know what is coming from the illness, like what's maybe actually derived from that pathogen, that infection, that physicality. Mm-hmm. Or is it the fact that, yeah, you've just been dealing with something chronic, you felt alone, you're like this person who's just like out on an island by themselves trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with them. Um, Or is it just that like you are someone who's just prone to kind of these mental imbalances, the depression, Mm -hmm. the anxiety. And so it's just kind of this constant loop. But anyways, my point in bringing all that up is that you live, I mean, like you said, you're not, you're probably the first person... Uh, that, well, no, we had, um, we had Alyssa from spinach for breakfast. Who's not, uh, actually who has Lyme as well, who came on and shared her journey. She also has a real regular job. Um, not that our jobs aren't real, but <laughs> <laughs> like a job where you actually have to show up at an office and, you know, we've, we've talked about this and I give you so much credit because actually right now I'm having a really bad day with my, my gut stuff. And I told Natasha, I don't know how I could actually like show up and go to work. And if you feel comfortable kind of talking about the fact that you struggle with like being honest and even with some of the stuff you've had to deal with, with like possibly getting like a promotion or like kind of up leveling in your job and bigger opportunities and the fact that I know you've had to like work from home some days. So tell us a little bit about what that's like and how you, you know, cause I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening. I want you guys to know you don't necessarily have to have Lyme or chronic illness to be able to resonate with this conversation. We wanted totally. to come on and kind of just like be real and share our stories and tell you guys what we've been through. And we're going to shine some light on like Lyme awareness and kind of we'll go back and, and circle back and talk more about kind of like even what it is and co-infections and things to look out for and treatment opportunities and things like that. But anyone who's dealing with anything health related, and I know our listeners, everyone, whether they are a health practitioner who got into this field from struggling with something, whether it is disordered eating or an eating disorder or hormone issues, thyroid issues, you name it. um, I think you can resonate with this. And basically what it is, is invisible illness. And Mm -hmm. people can't necessarily, I mean, some things people can see when they look at you, maybe it's like skin issues or something like that. But going in and putting on like a brave face, what has that been like for you in the last four years in this like big industry and trying to, you know, be successful and work your way up, but Mm -hmm. dealing with something this difficult? Yeah, it's been hard. (laughs) Um, It definitely, in the beginning, it was easier to get by because um, I had less symptoms. And like I said, I feel like every year I tack on some more symptoms. Um, But yeah, it's been hard because I am relatively young. I'm 28. Um, yeah, I'm young. <laughs> um, and these things started when I was 24. So I was just starting out my career and I 
could, didn't even know how to be a success, like a successful business woman and, you know, starting in my career, let alone how to do that, adding on a chronic disease. Um, and in the beginning, it wasn't, I, I would say it wasn't probably until last year that I, sh I started sharing my story with the, those around me. And part of that was due to the, the fact that I didn't know what was wrong with me. So it was hard to explain it to people. Um, because you would just have to tell them what symptoms you have. And then you would just get a bunch of people saying, oh, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Like you should try taking this or you should cut that out of your diet. And it's like, no, I have a disease. I just don't know what it is yet. Um, so there was that. And then also not wanting to be seen as weak, as someone less than, um, not as good as um, someone with an ailment. I wanted to be seen as someone worthy of their their position in in their company and someone who was successful and knowledgeable and was just normal i just wanted to be normal i wanted to go out with my coworkers and i wanted to go out with my friends and i wanted to move up in my career and all those sorts of things so i didn't want people to know what was going on because i thought i could hide it and then as the years went by i progressively got worse and it became harder to hide um and uh, that's when, I think it was in 2017, I actually was, uh, I took a leave of absence from my job for about three months. And um, a lot of it was due to the, my physical health, but a lot of it was due to my mental health. I was in a really bad place. I was very, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. I was having panic attacks almost every day. Um, and when I was driving, when I was at home, when I was at work in the bathroom stall and I was fainting at work and I was in so much pain and I just couldn't cope. And I was getting to the point where I was just, I couldn't manage it anymore. I couldn't fake it anymore. And uh, my doctor put me on a sick leave and for those three months, and this was prior to even knowing that I had Lyme. So I was just, I was still being treated for things that I didn't even have. Um, but at least I was able to take a break from work and from my regular life and just focus on my health and being supported by my parents and my family. And it was helpful. It was helpful, but um, it also wasn't realistic to have that go on for much longer. So I wanted to, I, I wanted to go back to work and I also had to go back to work and I still didn't even have a diagnosis. And um, that was really hard coming back. I felt like I had a lot of judgment and a lot of people that didn't understand me in my workplace. And I felt like an outsider and an outcast. Um, I didn't know where I stood anymore. Um, I felt less than. I didn't, I didn't know myself anymore. I didn't feel worthy of my job. I didn't feel worthy of being there. Um, and I felt like I had to prove myself to everybody. And I felt like people thought I was making it up that I, you know, I just wanted to, I don't know, time off work. I don't really know what people thought. I'll never really know. Um, but I definitely felt judgment from people. And I, even now I've talked to some people who I had those feel, who I thought had those feelings about me and we've talked about it and it was, they had admitted that, yeah, they, they didn't understand what I was going through. And so they judged me. And I've had a couple people that I work with that have apologized, um, which I really did appreciate. But at the same time, I understand why I was getting so much judgment because at the time I didn't know I had Lyme disease. And even when I did find out that I had Lyme disease, people don't understand it. They don't understand what Lyme disease is. It's relatively unknown to the, the public, even though it's very, it's more common than people think it is, but um, it's not as common as cancer or 
um, heart disease or diabetes or any other type of chronic illness or severe disease or disorder. So um, I understood why people were, you know, looking at me sideways and talking about me behind my back, as horrible as those things are, I still understood. And I tried to to help myself get through it, I would just tell myself, we're all human. We're all doing the best we can. They just don't understand. They don't understand what this is. So I can't judge them just as they shouldn't judge me, but it was hard. And I just wanted people to understand. And once I found out that I did have Lyme disease, it was scary, but I decided to share it with, with the people in my life and my friends, my family, um, my coworkers, um, my, my, the people who follow me on social media, I decided to openly share it. Um, partially because I wanted people to understand what it was and what I was going through, but also to, in a way, warn people that, hey, I was a regular healthy girl and this happened to me. And it could happen to you. It could happen to someone in your family. It could happen to someone you work with or one of your close friends. It could happen to anybody. We're not immune to it. Um, even though we like to think that we are, and then something terrible like this happens and we are kind of brought back down to earth and we're like, wow, we're not invincible. We're not immortal. Um, but yeah, it was, it's been hard. And I feel like I've made some strides in my workplace with the people that I work with, um, but not enough to feel like I'm respected and I'm appreciated and that I'm valued. Um, there are people that I am closest to at work where that understand to a certain degree what I'm dealing with and who support me. And in fact, who will say the opposite and say, I think you're the strongest person I know because you're dealing with all of this and you come in every day with a smile on your face. And, um, you know, and that, and that's really nice to hear, but, um, I do actually, I work two days from home, um, that my doctor had advised and I think that's been a really big struggle for me um, and with dealing with judgment because people assume that when you're not in the office, you're not working and that's not the case. And they also think, you know, why does she get to work from home? Why don't I get to work from home? She's probably just at home crushing Netflix. And that's not the case at all. Um, I don't work at home because I like to, because I have to. Um, I don't work at home because I'm special or I'm better than others. I'm, in fact, it's the opposite. I'm I'm, I have a weakened immune system. I have symptoms that I have to cope with every single day. I'm in pain all the time and I'm taking pain medication. Um, and those days that I'm at home, that I'm working from home, it's a one, it's two days that I don't have to put on makeup and put on a fake smile to get through the day. I can just be myself and I can focus on my work instead of having to focus on the pain accompanying my work. And I can focus on getting the job done instead of focusing on what others are thinking of me or how I can hide my disease from them. Um, it's just honestly, so I can be comfortable um, because I unfortunately, and I don't really want this anyways, but unfortunately I can't not have a job. Um, I'm not that financially well off that I can just stop working. And I'm, I'm cognitively capable, which I know a lot of Lyme disease patients aren't. And I understand why those patients cannot work at all. Um, so I understand those things, but, um, yeah, those days that I'm at home, it's, it's not because I'm, I'm special. <laughs> it's because I have a special condition where, you know, I'm sick. Um, and I don't even like using that word and it's hard for me to say, to say I'm sick. It's because on the outside, I don't look sick. And that's another part of it too, is people look at you from the outside and you're like, oh, 
she looks healthy. I even had someone today, I went to pick up some supplements from a supplement store and there was a woman there that was asking me about the supplements I was taking. And I told her why I was taking them. And she said, really? She's like, you don't, you don't look sick. And if I could count the amount of times I've had people say that to me, which I'm sure you have as well. And many others who have a, any type of chronic illness can relate to, um, but yeah, so dealing with all those things have been hard. And um, like you even mentioned, I've been, you know, people, I've been looked over for promotions um, and I, I feel like I've, I've deserved them and I've, wor- I've worked 10 times harder than everyone else, even though they don't see it because I am dealing with these, these health issues and I'm still getting the job done at the end of the day. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been hard. Uh, I don't want to go on too much about it, but it's definitely a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think what it comes down to is just be this disease or just even any sort of chronic illness, chronic disease, chronic pain, it's just largely misunderstood. And because it's uncomfortable, like, to be honest, I bet that there are some people listening, perhaps even who hear our stories and everything that we've been through and feel discomfort, you -hmm. know, to hear the reality of it and everything that you've had to go through and what you've had to give up and the kind of the the relationships with your coworkers that have been difficult and to hear that people were judging you and all those things. Like it's, it's, it's discomfort. And I've mm-hmm. even felt that within my own family relationships. And you and I have talked about this as well, where I have close family members who, you know, when I'll start opening up about how I'm feeling that day or just how I feel sort of like hopeless at times about my healing journey. And if I'm ever going to get better and all the time that's passed and how it's not really resolved they don't really want to talk to me about it because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And they don't know what to say and they don't know how to help. Mm-hmm. And so a part of it, and it, a lot of this stuff, <laughs> it sucks because we're already dealing with so much, but all we can do is try to work on our own mentalities and our own mindsets about it and try to remember that people just, it's not that people don't care. It's that people don't understand. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, it's really not their fault Mm -hmm. because until you've been through it, like even being a close friend with someone or even being a family member of someone who has these things until you feel it and you've gone through that exact path, Mm -hmm. you don't, you can't really understand and it can be uncomfortable. And I think at the end of the day, it's hard for people around us to see us in pain or see us in discomfort. Yeah. And, you know, people are only trying their best. I've talked about that before with like, growing up and how a lot of us have learned kind of disordered eating habits or disordered body image um, thoughts and things like that. And we kind of hold this like resentment or anger maybe towards like our moms or sisters or someone, whoever maybe we looked up to that sort of passed that down to us. Mm -hmm. But it's like parents are just doing the best with their situation, you know, and it's like with our parents or with our friends or even coworkers and strangers that we meet, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's like trying to separate yourself from the situation and understand that some people just, they can't relate or they don't, they can't understand. And it's not, it's not everyone's job, I guess, to commit to understanding these things, but I guess we do want to shed some light on like bringing more awareness to Lyme. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more, maybe for people who don't even really understand what Lyme is, what it is, maybe a little bit about the co-infections and then how one can um, get Lyme and even like maybe some of the symptoms and things like that that are associated with it? Yeah, um, it's definitely a lot. <laughs> um, 
basically Lyme disease. And let me first say that I'm not an expert and I would encourage people who are listening to this to go online and to research for themselves and to get all the information that they can on this because what I'm going to say may not be 100% perfect and I might not give all the information that is out there because there's a lot of information um, and they're all kind of spread across different um, different platforms. So I would definitely encourage people to go and, and to look into this more. But basically what Lyme disease is most commonly known as is basically um, a, a disease, a bacteria that is transmitted from a tick to a human or to an animal. And um, these ticks will feed, um, they, they, they suck blood out of an infected animal, um, which again, most commonly is known from a deer um, and they're called deer ticks. And they will feast, if you will, on these deers um, who have the infection. Um, and then they will, it, the infection will be transmitted from the deer's blood into the tick. And then the tick can go on to bite whoever it wants. It does not discriminate. It will bite a human, an animal. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're male, female, whatever race you are, it will, it can infect you. And so that's how it's commonly known to be transmitted. But they've done a lot of research, um, a lot of um, universities and private research facilities, um, and they've discovered that there are multiple ways that you can uh, contract Lyme disease that isn't just from a tick bite. Um, it can be from contaminated blood, tra blood transfusions, so from someone, another patient who has Lyme disease and may not even know it. Um, you can get Lyme disease from mosquitoes or any other blood-sucking insect that has the disease. Um, so like Chelsea mentioned, fleas or black flies, um, spiders. Um, most recently, they've discovered that uh, it can be transmitted in utero, um, in utero, so um, from a, a pregnant mother to her child. Um, it can also be transmitted um, from the mother to her child through breastfeeding. Um, it can also be transmitted sexually uh, through fluid exchange during intercourse. Um, which a lot of people don't know. And I think if a lot of people did know about it, it might cause a bit of an like a, a widespread panic similar to that of HIV, um, which is kind of what happened in the 80s. And a lot of people will compare Lyme disease to that, that time in the 80s because um, when, they were, when HIV was at its highest, um, there wasn't a lot of treat. There were no treatment. There was no test, um, and that's kind of what is going on with Lyme disease. Um, and yeah, so that whole that whole part of it, the fact that you can potentially um, get it through tra sexual transmission, is pretty unknown to a lot of people and to doctors. Um, and you can also get Lyme disease from exposure from feces that from animals or people who have the disease, which I didn't know about either. Um, so yeah, there's multiple ways that you can get this disease and um, really the gov like our governments, I'm from Canada, you're from the US, but governments across the world, uh, across the globe, they're basically telling the public that you can only get it from a tick and it's only certain ticks, which it's not. And they'll say that it's only from a full grown tick, which it's not. Um, you can just as easily get Lyme disease or any co-infection from a, a nymph tick, which is basically a baby tick. And if you were to see it, it's about the same size as a poppy seed or the end of a pencil. So you would never, if you were bitten by one, you would probably never even see it because they like to go to places where there's open skin. So especially in the summer, that could be behind your knee. It could be in your scalp. It could be on your back, like places you would not be looking for it. And it's so small that you would never see it. And then once you have the disease, um, 
a lot of um, news outlets and a lot of um, like public health and um, the World Health Organization, they'll say that you will see this bullseye rash, this massive bullseye on your body. And that's how you know that you have Lyme disease. And while yes, if you do see that bullseye, that is a clear indication that you do have Lyme disease and you should go get a doctor, go see a doctor ASAP. But about, I don't even know what the percentage is, what they just um, released, but about only like 20% of people ever see that rash. That means that 80% of people or around that number have the disease, but don't see that rash. So they're not going to the doctor. They're not going to get tested. And then the other issue is if you are most recently infected and you go to get tested, there's a huge chance that your testing will come back negative because the testing, the, the, the disease hasn't been in your body enough, been in your body long enough for you to actually test it and have it come up in the blood sample. Um, and then other times, like I've mentioned before, a lot of the t these tests that are available are not sensitive enough. And um, when I mean not sensitive enough is that they're not able to detect the, the bacteria as there are multiple different strains. There's over 100 strains of Borrelia, which is also known as Lyme disease. There's over 100 strains. And a lot of these tests only test for one out of the 100 strains. And I'm sure there's even more that we haven't even discovered yet. So it's hard to even get that diagnosis. Um, and if you're lucky and you do get a diagnosis within the first few weeks of being infected, if you take a course of antibiotics, you have an almost 100% chance of being cured. But that's very uncommon. And people who have that story, that they're very, very lucky because most people don't have that story and we end up having this disease for years and that's when it becomes more difficult to treat. And um, the reason why it's so difficult to test um, is because it's known as, Lyme disease is known as the great imitator. And by that, it means that it mimics so many different diseases, which I think, which is why it was so hard for you and I to get diagnosed because, you know, a lot of our symptoms started in our um, gastrointestinal system. So people will immediately, doctors will immediately say, oh, IBS, IBD, Crohn's, um, diverticulitis, uh, celiac disease, the, anything to do with the, the gut. Um, and people who have numbing and tingling in their arms and their hands and their feet, people will say, oh, it might be uh, arthritis. Um, or if you are tired and can't get out of bed and you have brain fog, they might say, oh, it's chronic fatigue syndrome or something along those lines. So it's very easy for you to get passed off on another disease that you don't have um, because there's not proper testing and not proper knowledge from our medical system to actually properly test us and diagnose us with Lyme disease. Um, and I won't go get into all the symptoms because if you do a little bit of research online, you'll notice that there's probably over 200 different symptoms and each patient presents their symptoms differently. So for you, your main symptom has been um, chronic abdominal distension and digestive issues, whereas someone else might be dealing more with um, cognitive neurological issues like um, you know, difficulty with their memory and focusing, um, having seizures and um, sensitivity to light and sound and all sorts of things. And I'm not mentioning them all. Um, and someone like me who has kind of a widespread of symptoms across different areas of the body. Um, so it's very easy for that to, you, for us to kind of slip through the cracks in the medical system because um, a lot of people just don't know how to diagnose this properly. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of doctors are 
like you're saying, they're not properly perhaps trained to treat Lyme because for a long time it's been said that it, it does affect such a small part of the population who maybe lives yes. in these areas that are prone to ticks, which like me, like I grew up on the East Coast. So even still to this day, any doctor I go to, any practitioner I go to, and I tell them I have Lyme, they say, did you grow up on the East Coast? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not really worth my time to educate everyone on the on yeah. all the different ways, but um, and all the different areas you can live, and all the different, yeah, just different ways that you can contract this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of doctors, unfortunately, don't know how to treat it, and so they don't, or maybe not even how to properly diagnose it. Mm-hmm. So they just don't even go there. Yeah, and they think like like for me, I live in Toronto, but. Um, I grew up out of the city and I grew up in the country, which is possible that I got it when I was a child. And that's when my, that's what my doctors have said to me is that they think I probably got it when I was younger, but not to say that I didn't get it in Toronto and the public, um, I I don't know what they're called, but I don't know if it's the public health organization or who it was, or um, if it's even just our own um, government um, healthcare system that has put this information out, but they put a map out of Ontario um, and it shows the areas where there, it's um, really high risk for ticks. But what they're not telling the public is that the other areas that they're saying aren't high risk, it's just because they haven't gone and tested there. That doesn't mean that there's not these bugs out there. It just means that they haven't gone out there physically and tested that area. And um, so technically, I would say that you can get Lyme disease anywhere. And um, even in living in the city, living, living in the suburbs, I know someone who you know, she lived in, she lives in New York and she got Lyme disease sitting in her backyard. Um, and myself, I don't ever remember being bitten by a tick, but I definitely remember tons of bug bites as a kid and as, um, an adolescent. And even now I, I get, you know, mosquito bites all the time. Um, when, especially when I go, um, up North. Um, so it's, you know, I never had that bullseye rash. I never remembered a tick. And that's always what these doctors would ask me. Well, do you remember a tick? Do you remember a bite? Do you remember this rash? And no, I don't. I really don't. Um, so to say that it's just, um, you can only get Lyme disease in a wooded area and by a tick is just completely false. And are you of the belief that you can also get it from advanced stage EBV, which is Epstein-Barr virus? I mean, I, I don't, feel comfortable speaking on it because I don't know enough about it. I have tested positive for EBV. Um, so I know I have that and it's very, you know, it's, it's curious because I, a lot of people with Lyme do have EBV. So I definitely think that it's worth some like looking into it. Like I think that they should definitely be looking at the correlation between Lyme and other um, infectious diseases and um, viruses that uh, a lot of these patients have, um, and I think EBV is, is mono, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And no, I don't I ever, there, yeah, I feel like there's different stages. There's different stages. Yeah. yeah. Like so the, I, the first stage, the first stage. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. yeah, I don't ever remember having mono either. Um, but, um, and, and doctors will tell you that most of the population has some strain or some form of EBV. Mm-hmm. Um, but isn't that a problem? <laughs> yeah. So, um, especially if people are symptomatic, isn't that an issue? Um, but yeah, so I don't, I can't speak much on EBV because I, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. And I, there was a point where, when I did get tested for it and it came back positive and I was looking into it and I was just so overwhelmed. I was like, I, I have too many things to focus on, but yeah, I, I don't know if you have anything to speak on about EBV. Well, I think it would definitely shine light on the fact that so many people are, are being diagnosed like crazy with Lyme mm-hmm. these days. Um, 
but I think no matter how you contract it, I think it's important to note the fact that definitely based on what happened with me and what happened with you is that it's not like all of a sudden, perhaps you get bit by a, a mosquito or a tick or a flea or contracted in some other way. And all of a sudden you start dealing with debilitating symptoms. It mm -hmm. sounds like for most people, it remains dormant. Yeah. Um, for honestly, it could be years. It could be decades until mm -hmm. your body experiences an insane amount of stress that yeah. exasperates the infection and brings it out of a dormant state into an active state. Looking yeah. back at my year, 2014, which was the worst year of my life because I was dealing with chronic back pain, which just flew, turned my whole life upside down. I've talked about this a million times in the show, so I'm sure you guys are like, we've heard this before. But basically, I was just in emotional turmoil and definitely suicidal, just like my whole life, like I said, fell apart. Mm -hmm. This is before I discovered... Um, nutrition in my whole new career. So I had just no like purpose and just was in absolute chronic pain. And I also went off of birth control at that time. And it sounds like it was like for you and for me, it was like a perfect storm for all yeah. of our, our symptoms and the bucket over was overflowing. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, it's every kind of reason to continue to take care of yourself. The good news is, and I've actually, I think when you and I had this conversation and my doctor did tell me as well that it could be sexually transmitted and I have, of course, like freaked out because I'm in a relationship mm -hmm. and freaked out that maybe I've, I, you know, before I even knew that I had Lyme, I passed it along or whatever. And the good news is there is that like people can have these infections, they can have this pathogen. And as long as you keep your immune system strong, you may never have the symptoms or it go into this active state. So it's every exactly. reason, like no matter what, to take care of yourself. Because even if you guys maybe contracted it in some way, it may never even be an issue for you if you continue mm -hmm. to, you know, get good sleep and eat well and take care of yourself and, and never get to that like burnt out, yeah. stressed out state, which so many people get to, which is why everyone is dealing with things like this, chronic things. Yeah, like some it. people can coexist with these infections and live harmoniously together. Um, same with parasites and different bacteria strains. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think keeping your immune system in check and, um, you know, never taking your health for granted. And in fact, taking preventative measures to keep yourself healthy um, will help you with any um, with any disease that may come across you um, and mm -hmm. anything that you may face in the future. I think that's having a healthy, fully functioning immune system is probably the key to a lot of autoimmune diseases and a lot of um, yeah. disorders out there. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about our very unique abdominal distension symptom that we share. The bloating. You were the first person to kind of because I I understood because my doctor had explained it to me that it was a it was in fact a symptom of Lyme, which was the greatest relief I ever had after so many years of thinking it was yeah literally everything. And actually, I'd love for you to share your experience with the elemental diet because I know a lot of people listening have gut issues mm -hmm. and everyone is like SIBO crazy. And I've voiced a little bit on the show before about how I don't necessarily like fully believe in like a low fat and rough diet and like all that stuff. So tell us a little bit about your experience with the elemental diet, SIBO related things. And then also, can you explain a little bit more about like why 
we have this bloating in connection to the Lyme and co-infections. Yeah. So um, first I'll say that I have been treated for SIBO like 10 different times, um, even though a lot of the tests that I would do, the majority of the, the SIBO tests that I would do came back negative. But um, my symptoms presented so much like SIBO that doctors would just say, let's just treat you for SIBO. So I had been on antibiotics. I had been on herbal antibiotics, um, detoxing treatments, colonics, um, and then the elemental diet, which was the worst thing I've yeah, ever so done. Tell us what that is because it's insane that you, <laughs> yeah. you did this and that you didn't get better. So tell us because it's crazy. So basically the elemental diet is there's different brands and different ways that you can do the elemental diet, but basically it's a pre-digested liquid that you drink in replace of, in, in replace of your meals. So you're not allowed to eat any solid food or any drinks other than water and this elemental fluid, um, which I, I don't want to say it's similar to like that ensure or like those, mm-hmm. you know, those, those supplement, those meal yeah. replacements <laughs> yeah. is in a way, but it's not, but basically it, everything is pre-digested and is low sugar. So essentially the point of doing it is to starve out the, the bacteria that has taken over your small intestine, which is what SIBO is, is an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine. So that's what I did. And I did this elemental diet where I only had these um, elemental liquid shakes for my meals for 30 days, which I think most elemental diets are shorter than that. I think they're even there. They can be a week to two weeks. Um, my doctor put me on a month because I had just such severe symptoms and nothing he was doing um, in terms of treatment was helping me. So this was kind of like a last resort. And I definitely, in the, in initially when I did the elemental diet, I had a severe die-off reaction, which for those who don't know, die-off is essentially when the bacteria in your body are dying off because they're, they have nothing to feed on. Um, and it causes almost like a flu. Um, and I had that for a few days and I, like, it was, I was in real rough shape and then it passed and it was just, it was just so awful because I was dealing with extreme nausea. The elemental liquids and the shakes don't taste good. (laughs) So you're kind of having to force feed yourself just because you can't not eat. You can't not have any type of sustenance, but when you're dealing with nausea and weakness, because you're barely eating, um, it's really difficult. And especially if you're, you are working and you, and for me, when I was doing it, it was in December. So it was around Christmas and it was just so bad. I didn't eat. I didn't have Christmas dinner. I didn't do anything for Christmas. I had to drink steaks. It was so brutal. But near the end of it, I had just, I actually kind of got over it. I was just like, you know what? Like I'm kind of used to this now as much as it sucks. I'm kind of used to it. But the messed up thing is that the only thing I noticed um, that changed when I was on the, on the elemental diet, which I wouldn't even consider to be an improvement, was that I lost a lot of water weight, which is not, was not my goal. Um, I have gained weight from having Lyme disease, but I didn't, I, I, I didn't lose any weight like, other than water. Um, and probably because I wasn't drinking enough fluids, even though I was only li- drinking a liquid diet, but I wasn't actually eating, drinking as much as I should have. Um, but I still had bloating, even though it was reduced because I wasn't having any solid food and there was nothing that my body had to break down. I still had bloating. And then as soon as I started eating again, um, the nutritionist that was working with my doctor at the time, um, she had me start back slow. So I would have two shakes a day and then a soup. And then um, after a few days, I would have two, 
uh, one shake a day and a soup and some solid food. And, um, and then until eventually I was fully eating solid foods and keep in mind, I was still eating low FODMAP. I was still eating a SIBO diet, paleo, whatever you want to call it. Um, and as soon as I was back on to that full eating three meals a day, even as healthy as they were, my bloating and my abdominal distension just went right back to how it was. And I gained all the water weight back um, and all the inflammation because I have a lot of inflammation, as I'm sure you do as well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a waste of time and a waste of money and um, emotional trauma. <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of people, they yeah, like you said, there's kind of like this SIBO craze right now. Um, and I, I believe, and again, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist or anything, but I believe that SIBO is a cause of something else. I don't believe that it is a cause. I believe that there's a root cause and SIBO is a symptom of that cause, which um, I think you agree and with I, as well. I, I definitely believe the same as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why you and I are so bloated. Like what is going on? Like what's happening from the Lyme and co-infections that we feel this way. Yeah. So again, I'm not the specialist, but my doctor, I've seen a couple Lyme doctors now. And the one that I had, that actually was the one who diagnosed me with um, Bartonella and Babesia and all those co-infections. She told me this, but also my current doctor who is treating me for Lyme disease and co-infections. He also said that um, specifically Bartonella, but all of the infections have an effect on your um, central nervous system and your autonomic nervous system. So the systems in your body that you don't think about. So breathing, you know, we just do it. Um, You may have to take a deep breath here and there, but for the most part, you're breathing without without you having to tell yourself that you're breathing. Same with our heart beating and our blood flow and, um, and our digestive system. And um, I was told that Bartonella specifically uh, can severely damage the small nerves in your body. And we have the majority of our small nerves in our digestive tract. So it makes sense that our systems have shut down because in a way our nerves are shut down. They're partially paralyzed. They're not doing what they need to do. They're not, um, they're not contracting our, our uh, intestines. They're not churning the food in our stomach. They're, they're, they're paralyzed. Um, and this is what the, the bacteria can do in any part of our body. And it can often um, infect our spine and our, a lot of our nerves that are in our digestive tract are connected to our spine and our spinal cord. Um, and then also Lyme also loves to live in the brain and our brain is what tells the rest of our body what to do. So if you're having, um, something going on with Lyme disease or any type of an infection in your brain, it's not sending the right messages to the rest of your body. And if the nerves in your body are also damaged, they're not going to be able to receive the messages that your brain is trying to send. So essentially everything in your body is just completely messed up. Um, so in terms of the bloating and the constipation or diarrhea or nausea or anything, it's basically because these infections have damaged the nerves that control that system. Mm-hmm. And I hope we're not freaking everyone out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, not, yeah, not to scare anyone, but um, I think knowledge is power. And yes, I you're agree. Equipped, yeah, when you're equipped with the knowledge, you can um, prepare yourself and you can help yourself through something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is scary. It's, you, we don't want to sugarcoat it at the same time. Um, it is scary and it is serious. 
Um, and this is just one area. It can, your nerves are all over your body. So these, um, these infections can affect so many parts of your body and so many systems. A lot of people have breathing problems. A lot of people have heart problems. I myself actually just last week was diagnosed with POTS, which is, um, God, I don't even know the, what the term is um, because it's so new, but essentially it's um, a, a blood circulation issue and a heart problem. Um, basically, I, when I lie down, my heart rate is so low. And then as soon as I stand up, it, it jumps up like 50, different, 50 um, beats per minute, um, which you're, it's not supposed to do. It's, your body is supposed to be able to regulate your blood flow and your heart rate from, sit, from sitting to standing. Um, so yeah, it can, it can affect so many different parts of your body. Um, but specifically for the digestive system, um, yeah, essentially, I guess you could say our nerves are somewhat paralyzed. And what sort of things have helped you? I feel like you've come to a place where you're starting to sort of understand kind of the best path for treatment for you or like, it just tells a little bit about maybe like treatment options and some of the things that have helped you. Yeah. Um, I would say that I wouldn't, I haven't found anything that's worked for me yet. Um, I just kind of, I just started treatment last year. I was mostly being treated for mold, um, which I didn't have much of improvement for that from that. And I actually still have mold toxicity. So that's a constant battle for me, but, um, I think the biggest thing with dealing with Lyme disease, no matter what, or any, any chronic disease for that matter, is acceptance. And it's, I'm not saying to just say, oh, I guess I have this disease now, you know, because that's not what I do at all. I'm, I'm 100% fighting this. Um, and I, the goal is for me to be 100% better. That is my goal. Whether, um, you know, that's realistic or not, I don't know. Um, but I'm not, I'm not halfing this, you know, like I want to get better fully. Um, but I think what's helped me a little bit is accepting that this is how things are right now because it takes a little bit of pressure off myself. I'm able to say, you know what, you, if you, if you have, if you don't have energy to go for a walk today, that's okay because you have a disease that you're dealing with. And if you don't have energy to go out with your friends this weekend, that's okay because you have a disease and, you know, saying this is not who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. And that's been a big thing for me too, is my identity has been completely flipped upside down. I've had a hard time, like, who am I anymore? Because now you just feel like you're a disease and I'm still trying to work through that. But um, I think accepting that this is something that happened to you and it's not something that you did and it's not something that you necessarily can control on your own. We need help from people. We need help from our family and our friends and our support system and doctors, sorry, and doctors and treatment centers. So I think that's important. But in terms of treatments, um, I just started antibiotic treatment this week, actually. So I am just starting out. Um, prior to that, I had been doing um, a lot of herbal treatments um, and the, this, the products that my naturopath was using um, was Beyond Balance, which is a common and popular um, herbal brand for Lyme disease. Um, and it's uh, tinctures, so um, drops of different herbs that have been shown to help kill off the bacteria. So I've been doing that and now I'm kind of starting on antibiotic treatment and not necessarily because I wanted to, but because I feel like I had no choice in this moment. There's so many different types of treatments, but the unfortunate thing is there's no one proven treatment for Lyme disease that cures Lyme disease and these co-infections. And that's the unfortunate thing 
Um, so a lot of patients end up having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on treatments that are not proven and that may never work for them, but may have worked for other people. Um, I have talked to people who either know someone or themselves have done antibiotic treatment who have gotten better. But then I've talked to other people who've done antibiotics who it did nothing for them or it made them better while they were on it, but then they relapse as soon as they stop or it made them worse. So it's really hard to pick on, to, to, to decide a treatment when there's so many options. Um, the only thing that can narrow it down is what's available to you and what's affordable for you. Um, so for me, doing antibiotics right now is the most affordable treatment for me. Um, not all of my antibiotics are covered by my health insurance, but some are. And also that's kind of the only treatment that is offered to me in Canada is either with working with a naturopath to treat it naturally through herbs or to work with a trained Lyme, uh, Lyme medical doctor who will most likely treat you with antibiotics. Um, they'll also, a lot of naturopaths or MDs even will, um, I don't like to call it a treatment. I feel like it's to help with your immune system and your symptoms, but they do a lot of IV treatments. So um, uh, Myers cocktail, high dose vitamin C, glutathione, um, hydrochloric acid, like all these different IVs, which I've done as well, which would give me energy, but they wouldn't help with any of my other symptoms. And as soon as that would kind of go through my system, I was back to feeling like a, a, I hit a brick wall. Um, there's different types of treatments that are very experimental. Some of them do have some research that's backed behind them, such as uh, bee venom therapy. Um, and I don't want to speak too much on it because I'm not an expert, but I've you know, talked to some people who've done it, who advocate for it. I've read some of the research um, on how bee venom therapy can help other um, autoimmune issues like rheumatoid arthritis and um, back pain and headaches um, and Lyme disease. And there's actually research studies that have, done, that have been done that prove this. So I definitely think that's an area that is worth investigating and looking into, but it's also not, it's very unconventional. You're stinging yourself with bees three times a week for two to three years, <laughs> mm. um, which, you know, I, I've gotten, I've warmed up to it, but I think that's out of pure desperation because you just so badly want to be better. You're like, if I have to sting myself with bees, I will sting myself with bees. Um, but it's definitely not an easy course. Um, and then there's stem cell therapy, which a lot of, um, celebrities with Lyme disease have talked about doing like Yolanda Hadid and, um, Kelly Osborne and, uh, I, I can't remember the others, but uh, those cost thirty to forty thousand dollars, and they're usually, um, you know, in. I, I know they do them in LA and they do them in Germany, but for someone like myself, I live in Canada and there's nothing like that here, so I would have to spend money to go to those um, facilities to get that type of treatment. And again, not proven. Um, so yeah, there's there's so many different types of treatment. Um, there's different herbal protocols like Buner. Um, the Cowden protocol, and I'm not familiar with those, but I've had people suggest them to me. Um, so yeah, there's just so many treatments out there, but they're, none of them are really, none of them are proven. Um, and they're difficult to, to fund and to uh, have access to. Yeah. I think the moral of the story here is that there's really no one what direction to go as far as even diagnosis or treatment protocols, practitioners. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wish I could give people a better consensus. 
Mm-hmm. And even though I feel really grateful that I found someone that diagnosed me after three years of people who couldn't and, you know, holistic practitioners, you know, I was seeing great LA based functional medicine doctors, you would think that they would even, you know, consider the idea that maybe this is what it was going on with me and they didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that I found my doctor, but I'm not like totally head over heels in love with the protocol. And now it's been I think exactly two years since I've been trying to work through things. And honestly, I don't feel like I'm much farther along than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, what it always comes back to, and I know that you've worked on this a lot lately too, is really the emotional mental side of it. Because within like the whole treatment protocol, supplement, antibiotic, all that world, what we can control and what we can count on is our relationship with our illness, Mm. um, how much we identify with it and essentially like perseverance and resilience. And I think what keeps me going is knowing like I have connected with people like you. I've connected with a lot of people who've gone through things. Maybe it's not exactly what I've gone through, but it's some sort of struggle that I now have this compassion towards. And I have such a story to tell. I have a way to really truly relate and be vulnerable with others. And I know, like I always say, (laughs) things don't happen to us, they happen for us. So I have to believe that there is a greater good that has or will continue to come out of this. And I think no matter what you guys are dealing with, whether it's something acute or something chronic or really anything, if you can work on controlling the things that are in your control and honestly being kind to yourself, I really, truly love, I've talked about her before, Jessica Flanagan, who wrote The Loving Diet. Um, she speaks a lot to the autoimmune community. Um, but honestly, I read the book initially because of my chronic back pain. I don't even know if I had, I hadn't been diagnosed with Lyme yet, but I would maybe just starting to deal with some of the symptoms. She talks a lot about loving yourself through your illness, through your autoimmune issues, through pain, whatever it may be, and not fighting your body. And if I've learned anything from trying to resolve my pain issues and my Lyme issues, it's my body does not respond to anything harsh. It doesn't respond to like, I didn't do so well when I did antibiotics. Like I just, anything like fast, quick, aggressive, my body doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. So it's about trying to truly like befriend your illness, befriend your body, befriend your pain, not fight it. Honestly, the same thing could be said for like issues with food or your body as well. So really anyone can relate to this, but it's not about like hating yourself to get like, hating on yourself to get better. It's loving on yourself to get better. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, all we have is ourselves. Like we were saying before, the people in our lives can't completely understand what we're going through. So sometimes the only person you have to rely on is yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is so freaking difficult to just at the end of the day, like have you and your body. Yeah. But you know, if, if you can work on like truly becoming friends with yourself and friends with what you're struggling with, we just hope that then it it's like working on that stuff and then also just like continuing to try and see different doctors and try different things. And hopefully there will be some sort of resolution. Finally, at some point we have to just honestly keep the hope alive. And I think the one thing, and this is something that I struggle with and I'm trying my hardest to, to follow my own advice, but I think having a, believing in whatever you're doing, even if you have your, your fears about whatever you're doing, like I have some fears about me taking antibiotics. I think going into it and telling yourself, telling your body and telling your brain, because it listens to you, 
that this is helping us. This is going to cure us. This is going to fix us. This is going to heal us. Because if you go into any type of treatment, whether it's for Lyme or anything else, and you set yourself up for failure, you're probably going to fail. And I think that's with anything in life. Um, so that's something I'm trying to you know, take on in my own life because I do have my fears about treatments that I'm doing. So um, I'm trying to, like you said, love my body, love myself, but also encourage myself to remember that what I'm doing is to help it, not to harm it. Um, and I think that I've done a lot of reading and this is a, a chat for another day, but um, the connection between our brain and our body and um, you know, uh, there's our limbic system, um, which again, we can get into that another day. But uh, if you truly believe that you're going to get better, there's proof and there's evidence in different studies that have shown people who miraculously recover. And it had nothing to do with the treatments that they were doing. It had to do with the belief of how, what they believed the treatments were doing for them. Um, people who've been cured of cancer, who were given a placebo, um, and they all of a sudden their tumors shrink and they're not symptomatic and they are cured in a doctor's eyes. And it had nothing to do with the medication because they were on a placebo. So I do believe that there is our, that our brains have the potential to help us in our healing path. I don't necessarily, I'm saying that it is the complete picture and that your brain is responsible for healing you fully because that's not realistic for everybody. And I think it's very hard to do um, because there's different programs like that out there. But I think that if, we go into our treatments with this positive mindset and with this hope and this belief and this faith that it can only help us in our treatment, not harm us. I 1 million percent agree. The brain, the mind is so powerful. And if we do believe in it, I mean, it's basically like a form of kind of manifestation or visualization. If you can get yourself in the mindset that you have the capability to heal, mm -hmm. you're going to make the steps towards that place as well. Like it's kind of whatever that saying is where it's like, I don't know, it's something it's <laughs> opportunity or Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I couldn't I can't even remember it either. But I know what you're saying and I Well, we will wrap up on that note yes. just because we've been chatting now for a while. But is there anything that you, you know, any few last things you want to share with the audience about Lyme or about awareness or just bringing your unique voice to this kind of world that is dealing with this. Is there anything else you want to share? Um, I would just like for the people who do have Lyme disease or a co-infection or both, um, I would just say that I, I want people to know that they're not alone and that there's people like you and I out there who are also dealing with this disease and it can make, it can be very isolating. And especially when you're the only one in your close circle that has it, you um, can feel very isolated and, and depressed and alone. And I just want people to know that they're not. And I know that social media can sometimes backfire in a negative way, but I also think that in the Lyme community, um, it can be very helpful as long as the conversations are productive and, and are supportive. Um, but I think that, you know, finding people who understand um, what you're going through, whether it's the exact same disease or just someone who has another chronic illness um, who can kind of relate to those feelings of isolation and um, of sadness and anger and fear and all those things. I think it's important to find people who get you um, and because not everybody will and that's okay. Um, and just to know that 
things may seem bleak and they may seem dark, but I do believe that things get better. And I know this may be tacky and corny, but after a storm, there's a rainbow and I, in the sunshine. And I do believe that. Um, I have my dark days, obviously, where it's harder to believe, but I do believe, like you said, things don't happen to us. They happen for us. And you're going to come out of the tunnel when, when, whether that's tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now, it's hard to say, but I do believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and know that you're not alone. And then for people who don't have the disease, who maybe know someone who has the disease, um, be compassionate. Um, people with Lyme, they don't want you to feel sorry for them. They just want you to understand them and to accept them as they are. Don't try to change them. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people want to help and they'll give suggestions and advice, but just don't take it personally if we don't take whatever advice you're giving us, because I guarantee you we've been there, done that. Um, but just be supportive of those people. Um, ask questions if you don't understand. Like I'm, I, I think a lot of people are afraid to ask those questions and like, what is it that you're dealing with? I don't understand. And I would prefer people to ask me about it than to make judgments about me um, without knowing what I'm dealing with. So I think um, if you know somebody with Lyme, just understand them, get under, try to under, do your best to understand where they're coming from. Just be supportive and accepting and um, for, I guess, the general public, just to be on alert. Um, obviously, don't live in fear of contracting Lyme disease, but, you know, take care of yourself um, when you're outdoors, especially in the wilderness and in the woods. Um, tuck your pants into your socks. Um, wear long sleeves. Um, when you go back inside, check your, take the clothes off that you were just wearing and throw them in the wash immediately. Check your skin. Um, check your children, your, your pets, because that your pets can definitely be carriers of, of insects and of disease. So um, pay attention to those things. Um, and again, don't assume that because you're healthy now that something like this can't happen to you. And so do your best to take care of your immune system and um, to eat healthy and um, to laugh a lot and to take care of your mental health as well, because those things are all part of the bigger picture. That was incredibly well said and a fantastic <laughs> note to end on. And thank you for ending the conversation in that way. And thank you for sharing your story. I mean, I'm so grateful for your friendship and to have met you. And I know we never would have met. I mean, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, no, we are live in like polar opposites of this yeah. of North America. So um, yeah, it's definitely a 21st century relationship. Mm -hmm. But I'm again, like, I am so grateful to have met you as well. And I can't wait till we like physically meet yes. <laughs> and get to hang out and have smoothies. Um, Me too. But yeah, I definitely think that, in like the Lyme community is the one of the most supportive communities I've come across. Um, and uh, for people who are struggling like us, I think just know that there's people like us out there who are there for you and will support you. And, um, you know, you're not alone. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if people do want to connect with you and get to know you a little bit more, where's the best way to, to find you? Um, the best way is on Instagram. Um, my Instagram account is how she heals. Um, and hopefully in the future, I maybe will have a podcast of my own, be blogging, all that sort of stuff. But for now you can find me on Instagram and, um, feel free to send me a message or to comment on one of my posts and I will definitely get back to all of you. Awesome. Thank you for that. Well, yes. thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and loved everything that Natasha had to share with us. 
And if you'd like to submit a question, you can email us at nutritionishpodcast at gmail.com or head on over to the website and click under the submit a question tab. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It means the world to us. Also be sure to subscribe so that a new episode gets downloaded for you every single week. For more from me, Chelsea, head to nutritionwithchelsea.com and follow me over on Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. And we will see you guys next week.